All right, and welcome to the Raw is Nitro podcast, the show that rips up the buy rates and TV ratings and declares our own winner in some of pro wrestling's biggest head-to-head battles. I'm your host, Lee Carlos Cunningham, back once again with my part-time partner in crime, Richie Von Sexington. How's things, Richie? All good. Birthday yesterday. I'm not completely destroyed today, so I'll take that. Nice, nice. Mine last week, so not too far apart. Happy birthday. Hell yeah, did you have a, have a nice drink? Oh, uh, I think I drank everything and then got up at six with the dog. It was, uh, there wasn't a lot of running around this morning. Yeah, there's no um, no lie-in for hangovers once you get to our age, mate. No, definitely not. Life definitely takes over. Oh, yeah. Yep. But aside from the birthday celebration, should we tell everyone what we're here to celebrate today? Oh, yes, it's a celebration of wrestling again from the 80s. I want to say, I don't remember any of these, and I watched them sober. I just, I've got <laughs> notes, and I can't, I can't even remember what it was. It's, it's another fine example of, I don't understand how wrestling still exists, if this is what they used to show. I've watched this fairly recently, so within the last week, and I was reading over my notes just before we dialed in on Skype, and I'm like, oh my god, like I can't even. I've got the initials for people's names, and I'm like, who was that? And it's like Nikolai Volkov or Tito Santana. I'm like, I've kind of forgotten it that that quickly, but I think we just blocked it from mind. It was that bad. I had to uh, go back to Wikipedia so I could remember what was going on. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Um, so everyone else knows what's going on. We're here to review the wrestling classic. And Starcade 1985. So before we start on any of it, how ironic is it that the show called Starcade didn't have any of the stars, and the star and the show called Wrestling Classic didn't have any classic wrestling? It's almost as if they were uh, just taking the piss. To be honest, it's oh, it's, I, I, I just I, I wish I'd never suggested this uh, trip through the 80s. I thought it'd be fun, but it's not. It really isn't. I think to preserve our friendship, you and I might have to do a more modern show just to break this up for a moment. Hell, I'm willing to watch December uh, to December again before I go back to the 80s. And that's a claim. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that is a tough one. <laughs> but there was quite a few people watching these shows. So the wrestling classic came from the Rosemont Horizon in, as WWE likes to say, Chicago, Illinois. Uh, November 7, 1985, I was a mere or 18 months old at this point in time, uh, 14,000 fans in attendance, and it takes place between WrestleMania 1 and 2 for those wanting to sort of place it in the WWE timeline. Starcade was November 28, 1985, so pretty close together. I know some of these 80s shows are, you know, just any time in the year as to when they had a special, but these are pretty close proximity. And it, um, it came from the Greensboro Coliseum and, and the Omni in Atlanta, so sort of a, a dual-play show, but the the show we watched on the network, it certainly made no reference of swapping between the two and had the same commentary team all night. So I can't honestly tell you what matches came from what arena. And we were told on the show that there was a 30,000 crowd combined between the two arenas. So roughly about the same level of people per arena on these two shows. But they have to use two arenas to do it. It's, it's kind of cheating, really. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a, if, if it's 30,000 combined, that's... 15k per arena no, and WWE got 40. Yeah, so I mean it's 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 not bad. I mean, I don't know if they all would come back the next month, but they were there this time. And I fucking wouldn't. <laughs> 
So yeah, it was. Um, this was definitely a different time. <laughs> uh, things were vastly different in the landscape of professional wrestling. This was very much in the time period of Hogan's WWE and Flair's NWA going into WCW. So that's where we are. Um, for those of you not as old as us, wanting to know sort of where we're reviewing here, most of I guess the people that we talk to are of reasonably similar age to us, maybe a bit younger, maybe a bit older, but um, they'll certainly have a good grasp of what we're talking about here now, I would imagine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's starting to look, well, as ever the WWE starting to get there, there's a, there's a vast difference between this, though, and where they get to. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is certainly in the... Um, early days of figuring out how these super shows going into pay-per-views are going to be. I think this might even predate pay-per-view for the most part. Um, I think there's still close, close circuit events. I could be wrong on that. And that may be in the very early days of pay-per-view, but it's certainly not a widespread uh, entertainment form just yet. Nah. Uh, and you can tell. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, which show did you have the misfortune of watching first? I stupidly picked as I always do the WWF show. Meaning that I then have to wait to then watch the Starcade show, which, uh, given how many Starcades we've watched so far, or at least uh, WCW slash NWA uh, programs, means that I should really learn and get that shite over with first. <laughs> I'm struggling to remember which one I hated the most, to be honest with you. So I, I watched the WWF show first. Um, I guess we're going to find out how bad Starcade can get when we eventually get up to um, Brutus and Hogan in the main event. We'll see if it can get any worse than this. Oof. <laughs> but that being said, we should probably head over to WWF territory and check out the wrestling classic. Want to come with Richie? Oh yes, I can't wait. <laughs> Classic opens with a very Star Wars-esque opening video package. Um, not quite WrestleMania 6 levels of cool just yet, but Star Wars-esque nonetheless. Um, and we get the um, 
the old little uh, recap where it, it says the symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Um, not quite yet. That's where they're heading, but they've not got that one down pat yet, despite claiming it early. Um, Howard Finkel as well runs down the card, including all the participants in the 16-man wrestling classic tournament. Um, we're really, um, I guess, stretching for some time here before we've even started because we go from there to a lot more shite before we get into the first match. What did you think about this way to open a pay-per-view or, or special event? Good God, it was shite. I mean, <laughs> this is the point where Vince needs NBC. I mean, the tournament graphics are garbage. They're using a pointer, and Lord Alfred Hayes looks absolutely petrified. It's awful. It's just, it, just, it doesn't inspire for the tournament to come. If they're already uh, trying to make time up with pointlessness, it's just, you just know what's coming, and there's nothing worse than knowing you're going to sit through two hours and know what you're going to get. <laughs> well. Going from there, we actually go in, as you said, Lord Alfred Hayes and Vince run down the card once again, which was a strange choice. Um, they're with some, I guess, celebrity called Susan. This is how little I cared, speaking of um, preparation and, and being on point. I didn't even look up who she was. It's some blonde girl called Susan. You're going to have to take my word for that. And they're Vince doing a rundown in front of a king. I have no idea what, what the point was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they got the King of the Ring style board, which was the, about the coolest part of this whole thing. It was pretty awful, and it took an absolute ice age. Um, they show the people's names for the tournament being pulled out of a fishbowl, so this is really, really prehistoric WWF production values here. Oh, it's as if they've only just bought some cameras. It carries on like this as well because Fink obviously does the first rundown, throws to Vince, Lord Al, and Susan, do the next rundown. They then throw to Mean Gene with Jack Tunney because we really needed an injection of charisma this early in the show. Good God, he's been um, in front of a camera before, has he? <laughs> I don't think Jack Tunney was ever a baby. I think he just woke up that age one day. Yeah, there's him and Arn Anderson just woke up looking like that. <laughs> Yeah, both cranky and both having to take their kids somewhere they're not interested in going. That's uh, that's his life. They give us the old classic WWF rundown of only winners advance in case we thought this was some sort of upside-down tournament for once. And then they throw again to another set of people to talk about the show. It's Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse Ventura. Um, and my notes at this, say, uh, this point in time just say, for fuck's sake, put a match in the ring, please. Yes, and then you live to regret that very quickly. <laughs> yeah, we do because our first match of the card in the tournament is Adrian Adonis. Before he's adorable, Adrian Adonis is still sort of the um, effeminate biker character here, taking on Corporal Kirshner, the blatant Sergeant Slaughter ripoff with none of the cool factor. Yeah, it's it, you just know the minute he comes out that this is this is not going to be a classic. <laughs> yeah. Definitely not. So the pre-cross-dressing Adrian Adonis gets in the ring. Um, I've got that here. Um, uh, sorry, I've completely lost my notes there. <laughs> Corporal Kirshner um, looks like um, the love child of Rocky and Paulie. Yeah, that's not a look anybody wants. <laughs> yeah, they cut Adrian right out of the picture. Um, <laughs> the ring is really odd as well. There's no turnbuckles in this ring. Did you notice that? I didn't notice I noticed that they were looked like they were wrestling on a trampoline. <laughs> yeah, free trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> They're bouncing all over the shop. Oh, my. What is it? Trampoline! Trampoline! 
He said what now? Please don't bring home any more old crutches. Oh no, you don't. That trampoline is mine. And there's just like a plain ring apron, nothing, no lo logos or anything like that. Um, and yeah, I did put on here very, very bouncy. So <laughs> I guess I had the same thought as you. I mean, at least one thing, unlike everyone else, Vince probably looked at that and learnt and bought some new stuff. Whereas we're still seeing the same old shite for WCW all the way up to probably until Bischoff takes over. Yeah, 100%. Um, Vince saw that, immediately replaced the rings and didn't put them back until Mankind had no knees left. Oh, yeah. And in, in fact, probably just uh, this was the point where he was like, yeah, think, great ring announcer. Got to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah. First employee, first one sacked. I'll teach. So we go... Yeah, definitely not the first one sacked. I mean, he's been there probably the longest serving employee. But yeah, the um, the fascination with getting the old guys off TV hadn't quite begun yet, but you can't imagine it's too far away. Oh, no. Corporal Kirshner with a couple of takedowns to start the match. Um, the referee is refereeing in a white polo shirt, so that made me laugh a little bit. Um, <laughs> we get a back suplex from Adonis, a hooking suplex from Corporal Kirshner, which... Um, Adonis turns into a DDT for the one, two, three. Uh, Kirshner does kick out right on the three count. This was a really bad match. I rated it on the Hammerlock scale, a solid five out of 10 to give us an indication of what's to come for the rest of the two shows. If I had to give it marks on the wankometer, I would also go with a five wanks out of 10. <laughs> I, it's just, it, it's terrible. Uh, I hate, couple Kirshner, right? I, I hate, wrestlers that kick out on the three when they're just crap you know it's not like hogan just kicking out just a little bit late it's corporal kirshner just just take take your job and, and just yeah sod off this is not hurting your prospects for later no more than what the match did beforehand no it's hardly sending out the cruiserweights is it <laughs> Jimmy Hart and Adonis cut a quick promo with Gene. Again, nothing to write home about, and thankfully we move right along because there's a lot of these to get through on this abomination of a show. Dynamite Kid and Nikolai Volkov are the next two to step up, and when Fink announced that Dynamite Kid is representing Manchester, that at least made me smile for the first time on this show. Yeah, it was, it was good, that. Uh, I, I was really, I kind of looking forward to this. I don't think Nikolai Volkov's not that bad. Dynamite's pretty good, so I thought, here we go, we'll have a... A decent kind of big man little man match and well what did we get we got a heat spot and that's it uh before we start though dynamite kid was he fucking jacked here or what the man was double the mass he should have been oh he he looks ridiculous it's it's you, you if you were near him you wouldn't want a sharp object now because he'll just blow up just bang that'd be it 100 percent as was the style at the time, Nikolai Volkov sings the Russian national anthem <clears throat> to huge heat, absolute thunderous heat. And then Dynamite Kid thinks, fuck this, jumps on the top rope, missile drop kick, one, two, three, match over. Give your best, pro or one of your three best workers on the show a five-second match. Well done, guys. You let Corporal Kirshner and Adrian Adonis go for longer than this. Yeah, they got four minutes. They gave this match nine seconds. I mean... What, this, what is that? I, I honestly think Dynamite just thought, fuck it. This is an early indicator, isn't it, that they've booked too much shit on this show and they need to start trimming it down. It's a real hazard of tournaments. Um, I'm a big tournament fan. My favourite ever pay-per-view is the Survivor Series 98 with a deadly game. But it 
has to be paced well so it doesn't become obvious all the early matches are going to last two minutes until the main event, which lasts half an hour. It's too predictable. Yeah, it's the uh, WrestleMania. They have the same problem with WrestleMania 4, I find, when I watch that. It's just don't don't put so many people in if you're going to have to cut it and then start handing out buys and all that crap. Because you, you can second guess. If they're going to give you nine seconds for the second match in, you know, it's difficult to get invested from that point. 100%. Uh, we have a Macho Man promo with Gene from here, which again is not great, surprisingly. I mean, obviously Macho's fairly new to the company, but yeah, we'll certainly get better as we go along with the Macho Man. Yeah, he's still trying to find his way a little bit, I think, in this one. Yeah, he's not yet had his cup of coffee in the big time. It is what it is. <laughs> from there we go to Ivan Putsky versus the Macho Man Randy Savage. Um Macho Man spits on Ivan Butsky and bails it out the ring to start the match. Brilliant heel stuff. Loved it. Just in case he didn't know he was the heel, he's going to just remind him. And Putsky, being the uh, proud man that he is, spits right back on him. Fuck that. I'm not taking this shit. Yeah. I mean, I don't, not very baby face, but I'm sure if someone spat on me, I probably would just wipe it off and go, oh, it's fine. I'm a baby face. I shall, uh, I shall leave this where it is. Yes. Thank you for reminding me of what is just and unfair fair and just or unfair and unjust it's late at night over here in australia just let me be um <laughs> macho man with the eye rake um punches um and then we noticed that dave hebner is the referee for this one i noticed dave hebner's the referee for this one and he's got proper refereeing gear on so there's a definite plus for this match compared to the two previous yeah they've actually bothered dressing the referees hallelujah um that is a theme of 85 wrestling as we go through the two shows so keep an eye out for that one later we get some punches in the corner, um, and then Macho Man trips up Putsky and gets a dirty pin with the feet on the ropes for the one, two, three. Um, another really short, nothing match, just trying to blow through this first round and, and carry on through. So definitely 16 men too much for one show, and yeah, nothing to write home about here yet. Three minutes, and it's a Randy Savage match in 1985, and it's boring. <laughs> How do you manage that? Yep. <sighs> Not good, not good. From there, we go to uh, Nikolai Volkov cutting a promo at the tournament board. He's an unhappy camper at his elimination. He thinks it's very unfair. Yeah, it's safe to say that uh, he would like that to go to the adjudicators. <laughs> yep. No instant replay in the World Wrestling Federation. No, unless they need storyline there... purposes. Mm. Yeah, unless, you know, someone comes out and convinces a ref to have an instant replay and then that's out the window. Or if the big show, say, does land out the ring first at the Royal Rumble. You can, you can do something with that. <laughs> Just don't let Vince come out to tell him to restart. <laughs> From there, we go to Ricky Steamboat versus Davey Boy Smith. And this was the match I probably had the highest hopes for in the opening round, or definitely had the highest hopes for. Um, they announced Davey Boy as being from Leeds, which is funny considering they announced Dynamite from Manchester. But Davey Boy Smith's town of origin is always changing in the WWF. That is a... Great rule of thumb if you watched early early 90s wrestling. Every pay-per-view was announced from a different town. It's just madness because he's from Wigan, the home of the pie sandwich. It's not... It, it doesn't... It, <laughs> yeah, it's... It, why, why... If you have, like... American wrestlers must come from, like, Buckfuck, Missouri or something, so why can't he come from Wigan? The town where it's basically a stadium and about 15 houses <laughs> at a service stop, and then you just carry on to all the real places in England. <laughs> right, that's your Wigan, 
viewer, listenership dropping a little bit. <laughs> I, I, I got to take people from Wigan. I love a pie sandwich, and uh, I'm glad of what the work you do there. The old Wigan kebab. Handshake, chain wrestling, big hip toss from David Boy Smith, and then um, Steamboat bridges out of a pin, goes for a backslide but only gets a one count. Uh, David Boy with a press slam for a two, then a second press slam before putting on a front face lock. Steamboat with a nice delayed vertical suplex, um, goes for a splash but eats the knees. David Boy hits a couple of drop kicks, goes for a third but Steamboat moves, hits the ropes, and the ref calls for the bell. And somehow here. David Boy Smith has injured his balls, and that's enough for a referee stoppage. I'm not making that up. It's not late at night. I'm not confused. We have a referee stoppage for injured testicles. Yeah, it, I, I don't under, I, I just don't understand why you would have. You look at Ricky Steamboat. You look at the Bulldog, especially at this point, and go, "Yeah, that's a that's maybe a ten minute match in this tournament," and they reduce it to ball shot on the rope forfeit. Crap, and it wasn't that great beforehand. It's not like they were going full pace. They were kind of. It wasn't that great. They would have probably done better if it wasn't for the fact that the new Davy was going to have to go down with a hurted knackersack. I'm okay with like a referee stoppage as a finish, but make it something where it's apparent what's happened. Like, I, I had to wait for it to be explained to me exactly what the finish was. Like, sell something devastating to the balls if you're going to make that the finish or. Don't use the bollocks and you know use a turnbuckle or have him go awkwardly off over the top rope. I mean, there's there's many ways they can work you for an injury that would make that looks uh, like fantastic. That this didn't even look good. It looked more of a botch, but because it looked like a botch, you, it takes you out of it. So you you haven't got a clue what's going on. So let's just quick recap now. Four matches. One of them involved. Dynamite Kid. One of them involved the Macho Man. This one involved Ricky Steamboat and David Boy Smith. And we've yet to have a good wrestling match on the show. I would argue we haven't had a wrestling match on this show yet. Ooh. From here, we go to Gene with JYD. Um, he is praising Tito Santana. Uh, says he's happy to be here. And congratulations to Chicago. Uh, really awkward babyface promo. Maybe it's time sensitive and being so far removed, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it just came across as a bit rambly to me. What did you think? Uh, yeah, there's no focus to it. It's, this is a problem. I, I'm not all for scripted promos, but sometimes they do tend to go down a rather meandering path. Yeah, I'm not a huge JYD guy, me. I think I probably came in a bit late for to really get his appeal, but... You know, going back and watching the early stuff, I'm still not really on board with what it was that made him so over. So it's just not happened for me yet. No, I don't get it. I, 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 but uh, I think it's just probably one of those wrestlers that you had to be there to understand. It's a bit like Ryback from a few years ago. You like look at him now and you're like, I don't understand it. But 2014 or whenever it was, you could actually see him getting the title. But if you go back and watch it now, you'd be like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, I didn't watch most of Ryback's runs, so I can definitely uh, feel you on that yeah, one. Yeah, you didn't miss anything. No. From here, we go to... Oh, sorry, I said um, he was praising Tito Santana earlier in the promo. It was actually Iron Sheik. I apologize for that. It's Iron Sheik, his opponent in the, fir- in the first round. Um, my IS looked a lot like a TS there for a moment. Well, it happens to us all. 
Sorry, it's Sheiky Baby taking on JYD. Um, Sheik jumps him early, chokes, stomp, uh, but JYD no-sells some punches and fights back. He's very over with the crowd, so despite our objections, he's definitely popular at this point in time. Hits some headbutts before the Sheik powders. JYD hits a clothesline for a two-count. The Sheik puts on a camel clutch. JYD drops out. Um, Sheik punches him in the corner, argues with the referee, and this allows JYD to hit him with the dreaded clothesline for the one, two, three in yet another shit finish. Oh, Jesus. This match looks like... We've all played WWE Attitude. It looks like somebody playing that. It claims it's wrestling, but it isn't. I mean... The SmackDown games always looked like you were wrestling, whereas WWE Attitude, because of the way you had to do the moves, felt more like a fighting game. It looks like what they're doing. It's like, right now, I must punch. So JYD looks at his control and goes up, down, left, A, <laughs> punch. And then uh, the sheet goes, oh, I must now do this. And he goes down, down, up, fireball, dragon punch, Z. I mean, it's just... Two things, okay. First of all, I have a soft spot for WWF attitude. Oh, first, wrestling, first wrestling game I've ever had, I've got to be honest. I, I, I played the shit out of that. As did I. But the second point, you missed one of the steps in doing those moves. The press pause and check your move Good list. Point. And it was also at the time oh, where they but... didn't tell you what the finishing maneuvers were. So you had to go and buy a magazine that actually told you how to do a stunner. So until the moves actually came out in whatever magazine you were buying, because the internet wasn't really full of cheats at that point, you could finish matches with Stone Cold Steve Austin, except you didn't know how to do a stunner. So I got it on Christmas Day. How I'm like, oh, but play Stone Cold Steve Austin, this will be great. Oh, I can finish with a, with a pin after a punch, after he's run the energy down. It's like, what, what's that all about? I think at a certain point in the match, the finishing move got added to your move list. Have you checked back when you had them hurt? Uh, now, you see, I've learned something new. But I actually, you just unlocked a vivid memory of mine from early WWF, not early WWF games, but WWF games of our childhood. Um, I, I vividly remember finding out the cheats and the unlockables by having to find the right combination of friend who had early internet plus a printer and getting them to go to a site. I think it was called like ccheats.com or something like that and begging them to print me the wrestling cheats and bring them into school the next I day. I remember CC <laughs> Cheats, I'm sure it was. It was like a precursor oh, to GameFAQs. Should... Kids these days have no idea what you went through for a good game. No, no. They, they just, just get the loot crates and whatever and just get on Fortnite and in or whatever they do. I downloaded that and I've never opened it. I just I thought, no, I'm just trying to be something. I'm not young. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a miserable old antisocial bastard. And my, my theory on it is when I'm playing a game, I like to do it pretty much on my own, except maybe a bit of FIFA. Just, I'm, I'm not interested in getting shot by a nine-year-old. No, I, oh, FIFA does my head in. Hey, every, every fucker wants to watch their goal celebrations and chat to me, and I'm interested in neither. You've beat me 5-0. You don't need to re-watch your tap-in three times. No. You little twat. <laughs> Moving right along. Um, I am um, Kyle. I'm going to owe you an ass kicking on FIFA at some point too. I've added him on PlayStation Network recently, so get your FIFA lined up. We're gonna we're gonna game off soon. Does he just have a team of Triple H's? <laughs> More than likely, I bet that his team's called the Game or some shit like that. <laughs> <coughs> 
<coughs> Gene is with Terry Funk and Jimmy Hart. Um, Funk basically says after he wins this tournament, he wants Roddy Piper because Roddy Piper will be the next heavyweight champion when he beats Hogan later in the show. So let's see how that all unfolds. I can see nothing stopping Terry Funk getting to the finals. <laughs> nothing at all. Up next is Terry Funk up against Moondog Spot. What the f- this is a barn burn. What the fuck is a Moondog Spot? I, just, I, just... <laughs> I can tell you what a Moondog Spot nearly was. A member of Demolition. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'd heard that story, but everyone kept calling him Moondog, didn't they? Yeah, everyone, that's a bit hard to miss him, isn't yeah. it? Terry Funk gets on the mic and offers Moondog Spot a draw. Yep, that's what happened. Uh, they both leave the ring. Terry Funk nails him and tries to run back in the ring, but Spot gets a hold of him before he gets in, and Spot beats the count, having Terry Funk counted out. <coughs> Apologies for, for the cough too, but um, yeah, it's going to stop me ranting at least. What was this? Terry Funk, right? This is, this is Terry Funk in 1985. You have Terry Funk. You have a tournament... Terry Funk, and you get him to lose in 17 seconds. Now, who in that arena went, I don't want to see more of Terry Funk? The man's a crazy bastard. But he goes out in 17 seconds. And we, I don't, I'm not sure if we see any more of him. And on top of that, let's keep Moondog Spot in the tournament and also make them both look like fucking idiots because a draw would have sent them both home. Yes, yeah, I didn't understand that That idea it was rubbish and I, I would just like to point out it's terry funk yeah this gets all the way up to seven hammerlocks for me we are edging closer to the point of frustration eight wanks out of ten <laughs> jeans now with don morocco and mr fuji and that lights up my life a little bit uh they basically say that he's drawn the best draw and he's going to win the whole thing and he's happy so happy days yeah yeah i mean there was a couple of things that uh puzzled me was one, why had he tucked his T-shirt into his trunks, given that he doesn't skip carbs? And secondly, he had rather an odd stain on the front of that said T-shirt. I'll give you that. I didn't pay that close attention. I, so there you I go. Think, I'm glad you said on the front of the T-shirt, not the front of the trunk. Oh, so. I think I was just hypersensitive by this point. Don Morocco takes on Tito Santana, and this is a matchup with a little bit of history. Um, these two sort of feuded around the Intercontinental title in the pre-WrestleMania days, so bit of history here for us all to watch. Um, match gets started with Don Morocco hitting some strikes. He's very much um, more Hulk Hogan than Ultimate Warrior in his physique at this point, and he is jacked but not ripped. Yeah, he's not a small lad. Santana hits a crossbody for a two count, a sunset flip for a two count. Um, and just a little note here as... Morocco fights back. I've always fucking hated Don Morocco's Irish whips with one hand. It just looks so stupid. Yeah, you need that kind of push as they spin to almost make sense. Morocco does the flip over the corner bump, which was pretty cool, and Santana lays the boots in, goes to an arm lock before Morocco gives him the hot shot, a clothesline, an elbow, and knee drop for a two count. Morocco hits a power slam for a three. The bell rings, but it turns out Tito's foot was on the ropes. So the referee doesn't really allow much time for Morocco to adjust for the fact that he's lost. And Santana rolls him up in a small package for a three. This was a really bad finish. Um, And I said here, Morocco should be absolutely pissed because 
the referee gave him zero indication that it was still going, and even the crowd felt bad for him with a with a small bullshit chair interrupting here. Yeah, I heard that. It just didn't make sense. Why would you want Tito, the uh, professional white meat baby face, to uh, win that way? I know what they were trying, but he, he looked more of a heel than Don did. 100%. It looked like the referee was more at fault than anybody else in the match, like he was the heel out of the whole thing. Yeah, I think they, they, they were trying to be too clever. This was Nick Patrick's Starcade levels of officiating. Oh, I, I think that uh, they didn't want Don or Tito to lose, so they came up with this, but Pat Patterson probably should have explained it to the ref. 100%. From here we go to Gene with Bobby Heenan, who's explaining that he's put a $50,000 bounty on Paul Orndorff's head. Um Orndorff is babyface at this point in time, and he's considered a big threat to the Heenan family, so they're looking to take him out, and also he's turned his back on all the heels, so they're all out to get him at this point in time. Not a lot of charisma, I find Paul Orndorff. Not a lot. Um, And then we go to our next matchup, which is Paul Orndorff taking on Cowboy Bob Orton. So the WrestleMania won um, two-thirds of the team collide here. Dad Orton. I I like Dad Orton. He's pretty good. Yeah, he's got to be better than old Randy, who they're finally looking into actually punishing for some of his crimes at the moment. Yeah, well, I mean, the stories uh, are, 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 we're bound to come out in this in this day and age we live in. Oh, my God. he's He's got the second most heat on the internet this week by the looks of it. Yeah, the only person that's got more heat is Meltzer, if you've seen that. I have seen that. I was just actually, I was just playing around on Twitter. I meant to just double check over all my notes and make sure I didn't accidentally, you know, say something like someone's cutting a promo on Tito Santana in the instead of the Iron Sheik. And I got stuck on Twitter reading all this shit from Meltzer and I heard the clip. And oh, yeah, it doesn't come across well, does it? No, no, it's like just leave it. And he, you know, he did the, the traditional, I'm sorry if you got offended apology, which isn't an apology. You know, he, he should have just said, I'm a fucking idiot and I'm sorry, and then got off Twitter. I'm sorry for critiquing you on your looks. You are actually good-looking, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, your wrestling is good. Oh, thanks, Dave. Cheers. Yeah, not not the best. I've never actually actually read The Observer, me. Back in in my day when I was really... Before, before you could read everything for free on Twitter, I was always under PW Insider. I had an elite account with them for about 10 years, and then as my interest in wrestling lapsed, it just ran out eventually. I was a Power Slam man. Loved, loved Power Slam. Oh, did have a few copies of that. Yep. Uh, no, I, I, I used to listen to the law on a, side, on a tangent, and they'd have the Dave Meltzer section, and he'd basically be like, well, that's a possibility. It could do. Well, maybe. I don't know. I'd be like, right, Dave, I could have done that. <laughs> yeah, we're in here we are doing it now, reviewing 20 years in the, in the past. Yep. So we get a, uh, a spot working over the cast early on from Wonderful, then an atomic drop before he to headlock takedown from Orton. Um, Orndorff goes under the arm a little bit more. Orton comes back with a nice hot shot before a sunset flip from Orndorff for a two. Bob Orton hits a... Um, goes into a really long head scissors t- uh, sequence, sorry. Takes a while, um, then a beal... Then Orndorff comes back with a back elbow and a knee drop before Bob Orton just nails him with the car straight up for a disqualification. So the shit finishes continue to roll on here. Uh, if you're gonna get, if you've decided you're gonna get disqualified, why don't they do it in the first minute? This is the thing I don't it, wrestling logic. It's like he goes seven minutes and then goes, "Oh, just hit him in front of the ref with me cast." 
But what's the point? All I could think about in this match was how amazing would a Paul Orndorff, uh, sorry, not Paul Orndorff, how amazing would a Bob Orton versus Lex Luger feud over the, the forearm shots be? No, that, that would be great. Just money in the bank right there. Who, why did nobody ever book it? Don't, don't. With the resurgence, resurgence of uh, wrestling and independence, I'm sure someone else has, has had the idea, even though Lex I don't think can stand anymore. I bet he's still got that metal plate, though. And with skinnier arms, it's probably going to go to the metal even quicker. He could be more deadly than ever. Well, yeah, I mean, he, I guess someone could push him in the wheelchair at his opponent really quickly. <laughs> oh, this is heading down a slippery slope. <laughs> <laughs> probably best tap out on this yeah. one. <laughs> so then, what was the next? Moving right along. Uh, we've actually got Vince and Al. Um, <laughs> Al's clinging on to Susan. Um during the recap of what's gone on so far. Uh, Funk comes in yelling, and then Spot comes in. Um, and Vince McMahon, it's, it's quite... Uh, sorry, no. Funk comes in yelling about Spot, and Vince McMahon, in a really funny little production gaff here, actually grabs the belt, not like the, the title belt, like the actual belt of um, Terry Funk, and just politely turns him to have his rant into the camera so TV audience can see what's going on and everything else he said after that was lost on me. I was too busy in hysterics at Vince trying to pr- produce on the run. You can tell that, uh, you see everyone else would have just let Terry do whatever he was doing and Vince was like no, no, face forward, hard camera always the hard camera. Yeah, do it properly. That's so good. <laughs> From there we go to the Dynamite Kid versus Adrian Adonis and this was a match I won't say I was looking forward to because I was pretty much ready to kill you by this point in the show for picking this. Um, but I was like, if anything's going to be halfway decent, this has a chance to be slightly better than the gash we've watched so far. On paper, this could be good. Starts out with um, some arm drags from the Dynamite Kid and then Adonis comes back with some elbows, a slingshot for a two. Um, we have Ventura leaving the commentary team to advise the Macho Man on how to beat Ricky Steamboat. So that was a cool little twist on the usual things there. I didn't mind that at all. It's certainly uh, interesting. It's this time, I guess, Jesse still is over as a wrestler as well as a commentator. So I do find he tends to interject himself quite a bit, which is, you know, it adds a bit to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, we get a vertical suplex for a two from Adonis and then a headlock. Dynamite Kid comes back with a back suplex but misses a headbutt of his own. Uh, Adonis locks on an early version of the sharpshooter, but the Dynamite Kid gets to the ropes. Monsoon on commentary says that Adonis only has interest in one thing, and that's winning this match and working over that knee. And I'm like, Gorilla, you can't say he has interest in one thing and then put the word and into the rest of the sentence. Now, also, it would be the other way around, which is working over the knee. And winning this match. Because why, why would he continue working the knee afterwards? Because he's only got one interest. He doesn't care about the tournament. That knee isn't finished. No. I must destroy the knee of dynamite. <laughs> You're in the finals. No, 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 no. I'm going to sort this. <laughs> dynamite Kid comes back with a sunset for a two count. And then a huge clothesline. He looked like he knocked seven shades of shite out of Adonis with that one. It was uh, quite stiff. One of them um, clotheslines where, as you come, you sort of turn the corner on them to make sure you continue hitting them after the impact's done. We get a second rope knee drop for a two count and then a snap suplex for a two count. Jimmy Hart gets on the apron and 
Dynamite pushes Adrian Adonis into him, and somehow that is enough to pick up the one, two, three. A really lame end to what was a pretty good match. I actually liked this. I'm going to use the word like on this show. This this picked me up. I thought we've we've done with the first round bollocks. We'll 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 move on now. They'll they'll give more time to the matches because you know we 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 sorted the timings out. I was wrong, but that's what I thought this match signified. Yeah, it turned the corner like Dynamite's clothesline. Yeah. Gene and Ventura are then chatting with um, Ricky Steamboat and the Macho Man. Jesse Ventura, oh, sorry, Gene and Je- Jesse Ventura, yeah, chatting with Ricky Steamboat and the Macho Man, respectively. Ventura is with Liz and Macho Man and basically tells him he's got the perfect strategy for beating Steamboat, so we'll see how that one pans out. And in an early preview of the instant classic from WrestleMania 3, it's Ricky the Dragon Steamboat taking on the Macho Man Randy Savage. Macho Man uses Liz as a shield in the early doors of this matchup. Very, very good heel tactics. And then eventually jumps Steamboat, and no prizes for guessing what Gorilla Monsoon called this one on commentary when he jumped in from behind. Was it a Pearl Harbor? It was a Pearl Harbor indeed. (laughs) We get a pretty quick exchange from here, and Ricky Steamboat hits a cool head scissor, which Macho Man pops out of. They brawl along the outside of the ring. Steamboat hits a knee drop and some fist drops, a vertical suplex, and a crossbody off the top for a two. Then a back suplex before Macho Man gets some knucks behind the referee's back, nails Steamboat, and picks up the one, two, three in a match which was far too short for the quality that was being shown when it started firing up. Yeah. The other thing is, I'm pretty certain that there was nothing in his tights but little Randy Savage because he wasn't holding anything in his hand. And I think I've said this before. If you're going to punch someone and you've got an object, the object has to be on the outside of your hand to really make a difference, <laughs> not on the inside. You're just grabbing hold of something then. It's not, that's not how physics works. <laughs> yeah, the, um, this is a very mid-90s WCW finish, the old pull out like a tissue from your trunks and hide it like it's something dangerous, throw one punch and put it back. Yeah, oh, look at this, bang. Oh, uh, oh, it's made no difference to my punch because it's on the inside of my hand. <laughs> we then get Gene with Moondog Spot, who speaks in no English, so that was a waste of time. Nothing better than a uh, a nice interview section. Wasting more time you could have spent on the previous match. Yeah. And the next match is Junkyard Junkyard Dog versus Moondog Spot. Um, Spot misses a second rope splash. JYD hits some headbutts. And then JYD counts his own pin because it appears there's no referee come out for the match. A bell sounds and JYD is declared the winner. What the actual fuck? I, I literally had no fucking idea what was going on here. I was waiting for Terry Funk to come out or something like that. And uh, it, it was just like, no, I'm going to... I mean, he set a precedent there as Junkyard Dog. Think of all those matches where the baby faces won and done, done the one, two, three on the mat. He's won. I mean, we could change the entire history of wrestling if we took that as the uh, the, the uh, sort of precedent in the, in the uh, court of law. I went after Misty's. <laughs> <laughs> the wrestling quarter law. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> we have to go back and change every title change that's ever been had if the baby face has gone. Oh, <laughs> think of the possibilities. We could rebook every territory. It's going to be a big job. <laughs> yeah. But this one, this one got a solid nine out of 10. We're fucking getting close to as miserable as wrestling can get right now. It is atrocious. There is nothing at this point that I would have uh, 
done to stop watching this wrestling. I, I, I think I actually was looking longingly outside at the lawn thinking, that takes about two hours to mow that big lawn. I wouldn't mind doing that. I'm not going to lie to you. I watched this show in approximately 178 sittings. I, I knew I had to sit down and get it done. I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to power through, power through. I, I dread to think how many times I went to the fridge, made a drink, uh, punched myself when in I the get- face. When I get a really bad show, I'll sometimes like, you know, because I normally give whoever I'm working with a, a good couple of weeks notice before we're going to record. Um, it's been a bit longer than that a few times lately due to circumstances and my computer dying, but generally a couple of weeks notice. I'll normally hit you up and say like, it'll be a couple of weeks and we'll be recording. And if it's a bad show, I'll psych myself up and I'll just try and watch a match every night. Now I knew this show was like, I don't know, 90 matches and I still wanted to do it one a night because I couldn't bear anymore. Oh, it's even worse when you've got other things that you want to watch and you're watching this shite. I know, I know. It's just, yeah, not good at all. From there, we go to our next match, which is the babyface match in the tournament now. Paul Orndorff taking on Tito Santana. Uh, Santana hits a nice headlock takedown and then a head scissor before Orndorff comes back with a hammerlock. Tito Santana then locks in a hammerlock and this is starting to give me some bad flashbacks. Um, Santana's selling a leg injury, which I didn't know about from the... the first match, but apparently he's got one. Orndorff fires in on that and puts on a nice leg lock, but it is pretty slow. Uh, Orndorff doesn't give a clean break and then hits a forearm. They brawl along the outside and we get a double count out. A very, very, very bad finish to a slow match and two baby faces brawl along the outside for a double count out. Uh, uh, words fail me, you take over. It's the, uh, they've, they've pretty much, if there was a wrestling uh, TV tropes section, they're writing it right now. Two baby faces can't lose. We'll just have them brawl outside. And if, any other time, they can hear the count to 10, but apparently when you fight, put baby face versus baby face, it cancels out all sound waves. Have we had a decent finish on this show yet? No, this is the literal drizzling shit. Oh, it's so bad. We then go back to uh, Vince and Al Hayes and Susan, of course, um, and they give us a rundown on the tourney. JYD is getting a bye the classic tournament trope, and he's going to be facing the winner of Macho Man and Dynamite Kid. The only surprise here is it's the heel getting the buy and not the baby... Uh, sorry, the baby face getting the buy and not the heel. Yeah, it doesn't usually work that way because it makes it difficult to uh, when you get into the, the match at the end to say, well, he's had one more match. It doesn't make sense when it's the heels had the extra match. 100%. I mean... You know, look through the history of tournaments. Bam Bam Bigelow got a bye before facing a tired Bret Hart for the 93 King of the Ring. Mankind, I think, was given a bye in the Deadly Game tournament because it was Vince McMahon's hand-picked stooge. Um, the one-man gang, I think, got a bye at WrestleMania 4. It's yep. always got to be the heel. Definitely. We, th- we then go to uh, Gene with Hulk Hogan. And just to really add insult to injury, the one thing you can always count on is a brilliant coked out Hogan promo and he's not even got his shtick down pat yet at this point it's just a normal generic promo no I was very disappointed he, he was what he had his white trunks on his uh, <laughs> promos are a little bit off and he looks like he's put his tan on with a brush all right thank you Gorilla Monsoon the Rosemont Horizon here in Chicago is rocking tonight with the elimination tournament and now a title defense for my guest at this time Rowdy Roddy Piper, of course, is challenger.
for you tonight, Hulk Hogan. Well, you know me, Gene, that Rowdy Roddy Piper's so dangerous, brother. I needed that one little extra bit of momentum to get psyched. And what I did mean, Gene, was I sat back, I watched this elimination tournament, and I'm ready for Piper. And one thing I'm glad about, mean Gene, the whole country gets to see this one, just like WrestleMania, man. Piper, the whole world's gonna witness this when you feel the wrath of the Hulkster. Chi-Town's got Hulkamania, the whole USA got Hulkamania. Now, Piper, it's your turn to feel what Hulkamania feels like coming down heavy on you, brother. All right, we have got a capacity crowd on hand for this one tonight, Hulk Hogan. Rowdy Roddy Piper has said so many things leading up to this gigantic event. And tonight, if he does not win the heavyweight champion of the world, many say he's gonna have a little, uh, got his face. Well, verbally and physically, Piper, you backed yourself in a corner, brother. I just hope you're ready for this one, man. I'm gonna use everything I got to put him down, Mean Gene. It's about time, don't you think so? Well, Hulk, don't, don't put me in the middle. I tell you this, it is gonna be some kind of a title defense for you as you're headed for the ring. I just hope Piper's ready. And what's he gonna do when the host is in the wild? Let's go back to our ring announcer. Hogan can only be in white trunks if he's playing Rip. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> he, 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 yellow trunks. That's that's the rules. Hundred percent. This, of course, is a bigger title match. The one that's drawn the house, so to speak. It's Hulk Hogan defending the title against his arch nemesis and, at this point, biggest rival, Rowdy Roddy Piper. I was pretty interested to see a singles match between these two because it was obviously the feud that you know really captivated everyone's attention in the in the WrestleMania days and set the WWF into orbit. And I was keen to see what would happen. I do always look back at this with a with a bit of cynicism after reading Hogan's book and hearing him say things like, oh, if Roddy Piper would have just lost to me clean, we could have traded the belt back three or four times, but he never wanted to trust me. I'm like, what a load of shit. Who did you ever swap a belt back three or four times with, you lying bastard? He lives in a fantasy world created by himself. Oh, I just can't believe that he can actually say and write and think the things he does and not realize he's full of shit every time he opens his mouth i mean we could go through the list of heels that lost cleanly to hogan and then never certainly never got the belt they got a quick trip back down the card piper was right like bundy boss man dibiase perfect slaughter you name it everybody that lost cleanly to hogan immediately went down the card after don't even argue warrior Yeah, hundred percent. He gets the win, and then he's fucked off. Hogan still main events every show. Yeah, no, it's a. He, he, I mean, he knew what he was doing, but the man uh, uh, is is not the saint he tried. Well, obviously, he's not the saint he tried to make himself out to be. Certain videos have certainly proven that. <sighs> I bet he feels like a pig now. Though. Yeah. Well, oh, it's just. Ah, <laughs> oh, oh, move on. I think I've just. <laughs> We get a really horrible overdubbing of Real American. I bet they played Eye of the Tiger on the in in the arena that day, uh, but obviously they just stick a, a Real American over the top, so we don't even get a real sense of what the pop for Hogan was like, which is disappointing. No, Dave's Piper jumps that bit. Piper jumps him early, and they brawl along the outside, um, hit some throat thrust. Hogan with a big corner clothesline and a back suplex, and then a slam. Piper comes back with some punches and kicks before Hogan locks on a bear hug, then a sleeper. Uh, Piper has two arms down, but um, gets out of it. Hulk then gets up and runs them both over the top rope. Um, Piper sends Hogan into the ref, gets a chair, nails Hogan, but then goes for a second and Hogan blocks it. 
Hogan uses a chair himself and locks a sleeper on Piper, but Bob Orton comes in and makes a save. Orndorff runs out and makes a save for Hogan, and we get a disqualification victory for Hulk Hogan. So the one thing I will say Hogan's probably got a point on is the finishes to the matches weren't great, but yeah, Piper kept his heat and stayed a, you know, a big name for the rest of his career, so fair play to him. Piper... Uh... Probably lost two or three times, I think. They said, they reckon in the 80s, I was reading. And it's like, well, he, he was willing to stick to his guns. Uh, and it's the same thing with Hogan. It's just that usually Hogan won. I mean, Hogan, what was that, that often said phrase? It's like Hogan would lose and he would say, okay, but what are we doing next? And if he didn't have an answer, if it was just losing for losing sake, he'd be like, well, I'm not doing it. It's pointless. There's no storyline. Piper's just very good at his own brand, really. Oh, 100%. I mean, look at Savage. Savage gets all the way to the very tippy top and then loses to Hogan and is immediately Zeus's sidekick for the next year. Yeah, it, it, it's too giving. It, people never should probably trusted him a little bit more than they should. I think I think he was, well, you've got to be very good at politicking. Everyone's favourite wrestler, maybe not so much nowadays, but I bet he's still there, has had to do something not particularly nice. Uh, at some point, except maybe Daniel Bryan, who is an anomaly. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'll give you that one. From here, we go to Gene with the Junkyard Dog, another average promo. Uh, Jimmy Hart comes in and threatens JYD, and that's pretty much the end of it. We then go to Dynamite Kid taking on the Macho Man Randy Savage for a spot in the finals. Um, we see some chain wrestling early on before Macho Man takes a bail to the outside, then comes back with a cheap shot and an elbow. Dynamite Kid hits a shoulder and a backdrop. They then go to a double clothesline. Macho goes up top, but Dynamite Kid uh, drop kicks him as he's coming off. Then, then oh, Sorry, drop kicks him before he can come off, and then hooks up a superplex, which was a pretty big spot for the time. Macho Man, however, on the way down, hooks Dynamite, Dynamite Kid's leg and pins him. Um, thinks he won... Dynamite Kid, but Macho Man did. Good ending to a two-short match, which is the opposite of what we've been saying for a lot of the night. Or two shorts not, but we've been saying shit ending, shit ending, shit ending. And this was the first real good ending of the show. Yeah, Dynamite didn't lose anything. I would have loved to see these go a lot longer. And I felt with Randy playing heel, uh, you didn't see as much wrestling as you probably wanted, although he's great at it. I, w- I would have just liked to see these two go. Yeah, this should have been the final. Yeah, I, I can't see why not. I don't know. Well, like I say, don't understand the appeal of Junkyard Dog Dog one way or the other. Nope. We then get Vince and Susan coming to the ring to give away a Rolls Royce. So, yeah, you heard that right, a Rolls Royce. This is not the In Your House or the SummerSlam keys in the unlocking of a box. We're apparently definitely going to give away a Rolls. Because that's what you need if you're a wrestling fan is a Rolls Royce. Yeah, I can't believe this is the same man who supposedly borrowed every cent he could get his hands on to make WrestleMania happen, and now he's got a Rolls Royce to give away six months later. Yeah, it's good God. It's just, surely people who go to wrestling, and especially certainly in the 80s, so they wanted a Trans Am or, a, <laughs> or something like that, a Pontiac Firebird. They're not, they're not Rolls Royce people. <laughs> yeah, they're going to get home and not be able to afford the insurance on it. Whoever wins this, you can see it coming. Yeah, I mean, all right, they can feel they probably afford the petrol given it's America, but they're just going to go and swap it for a pickup. Hundred percent. We get some suits being introduced in the ring by the Fink, um, Jack Tunney, Basil DeVito, who many of you will have heard of, a longtime employee of the WWF, whose name pops up on a lot of things, and Ed Fiebershop, who I've never heard of before or since. 
which is a shame because I mean I think he had a great future. <laughs> the suits get mild boos from the crowd who are somewhere between pissed off and bored at this point. Alfred Hayes comes in and it gets even more boring and the boos start to intensify because this shit segment doesn't seem to want to go away. No, this is this they have uh, made Randy Savage versus a Dynamite Kid at least five minutes shorter than it needed to be to put this crap on there. A hundred percent. Gene's then backstage with Hulk Hogan and Paul Orndorff. Hogan cuts a promo while Paul Orndorff wanders between Hogan and the camera, completely blocking him from view while he was talking. Um, And then Hulk Hogan goes to cut a second promo after Orndorff. It's just, yeah, the production is not yet there. This this is not your your prime WWE flawless uh, production values you get nowadays. No, this is definitely a rough cut before we got anywhere near the finished product. From here, we go to JYD versus the Macho Man in the tournament final and the main event of the evening. Savage once again uses Liz as a human shield, then grabs a chair, throws it at JYD, who headbutts it and tosses it back, which is pretty funny. Um, Keep in mind, he does have dark skin, so he must have a hard head. As is the rules of the time. 100%. 100%. I'm not making that up. It's not my rule. I believe it was a very, very racist time in the wrestling business, but who am I to judge? Macho Man then attacks with a slam. JYD with some head butts uh, to the lower back and then an atomic drop and a bear hug. Mean Gene joins the commentary table, which was always a special treat when he came to give his pearls of wisdom on commentary. JYD um, gets a bit of a beat down on Macho Man, who fires back with a hot shot for a two count. Then an axe handle from the top to the floor, which was quite cool. Bit of brawling along the outside, and then an axe handle again from the top to the floor. More brawling along the outside, and he goes for a third axe handle, but eats a gut punch from JYD, who then goes down to all fours and hits some headbutts for one of his signature spots. JYD backdrops Macho Man to the floor, and then we get a lame countout finish, because what else would you end this show's main event and the tournament winner on other than a shit finish? Yeah, this is the longest match on the card. They gave this the longest match, and they it's a count-out. A count-out. A count-out. It's a fucking count-out. That's, I, I can't, that's like winning the World Cup with an own goal in extra time. I mean, <laughs> you'll take it, but, I mean, it's not the same as winning it, is it? You've not won it. It's, a, it's an own goal. It's, it's, it's slightly tainted. JYD gets nothing by winning by count-out. What does he get? He gets... Nothing. He doesn't. He doesn't get him any more. Uh, sort of like over. It just is shite. Oh, this was this was bad on so many levels. He actually took me out of my train of thought then because I just imagined how great it would have been if City had won the the FA Cup semi final against United with a Gary Neville own goal, and it just made me almost cry tears of joy. I wish that had been what happened. <laughs> Fucking hate Gary Neville. Oh, he's he's. Uh... Well, is he United, man? Let's leave it at that. Yeah, 100%. We then get some um, some absolute magic because I've no other way to describe this other than Jesse Ventura must be a teleporter because he comes out to protest the the victory of JYD who runs him off and then the camera immediately cuts from Jesse Ventura with no jacket running away from the ring to Jesse Ventura stood quietly at the commentary table, fully clothed, to chat about the event. It's almost as if they filled this out of order. 
I'm starting to think they might have done. <laughs> he basically um, just runs through what's happened with, with Gorilla. Nothing to write home about. Vince Allen sues and say a big goodbye. And then we have some credits roll, and I just take zero notice of the credits and write, please, God, give me these hours back. Let me live three or four hours longer so I don't feel like I've wasted this time. I mean, this is the kind of thing that makes you wish you had taken up smoking. <laughs> Oh, I'm just about to take up snorting if I had to watch this. I was going to say, I wasn't suggesting nicotine. Good God. Awful. <laughs> Absolutely awful. Tr- truly fucking gas. Even crack cocaine would not make this better. No, if I had a choice between watching this show again and doing just about anything else in the world, I'd probably do that. I mean, if this was my day off and I was about to watch this show and I got called into work, I'd get dressed in a heartbeat oh i, I i'd offer <laughs> i'd be like do you need me like, no no we don't need you are you sure are you 100 certain you don't require me i will work for free get me away from this fucking show because it is just not good <laughs> but it's not- I, I feel like there should be some sort of dis- disclaimer on the network where it's got like thousands of hours of classic content and the wrestling classic and this shite yeah, it's just so oh, bad. Um, right then. Uh, it can only get better with Starcade then, can't it? Oh, absolutely. I'm sure we're in for a treat. Should we head over and have a look? We've done so well out of Starcade so far. Oh, moving right along. Nineteen eighty three, it was a flip. And 1984, it was the Million Dollar Challenge. Now, it's Starcade 85, The Gathering. Already signed for the World's Tag Team Huddle. The Russian team will defend. No disqualification. No time limit in a cage against the Rock and Roll Express. And the NWA World Heavyweight Champion will defend his title that night. It's Starcade 85, The Gathering. Thanksgiving night at the Greensboro Coliseum. And the Omni in Atlanta missed The Gathering. And you miss wrestling history. Starcade has a very 80s opening. Um, we get a, a rock and roll slash disco ball cheesy video, so definitely mid-80s here. Um, and then we get introduced to Bob Coddle and Tony Schiavone, and, yeah, that's not a really good sign to start with Bob Coddle on commentary. No, he's, he's, he's not one of my favourites, although Tony's rocking a cracking tash. They're apparently uh, introduction is going out to the live crowd as well. And we are in the Omni, but we then throw to Johnny Weaver, um, who's at the Greensboro Coliseum. And fuck me, Johnny Weaver, what is this atrocity? Who thought handing this man a microphone was ever going to work out well? I, I have literally no idea. He looks like a rabbit on coke that's had its head slashed. He can't stand in the center of the camera and he's visibly reading the uh, prompt cuts. It's just, good God. He, 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 I, I think there are people in NXT when they first started doing the reporter, reporter thing and, and they look like rabbits in headlights are better than this. It just, God, I, I honestly don't know why that, that's a good idea. It's Johnny Weaver fella. Do you remember that Jackie Gator match which was widely considered the worst match in the history of I War? do. That, to me, was like, Benoit Guerrero level of wrestling compared to this level of commentary. This this man has never worked in front of a camera before, surely. He looks like Stan off South Park with Abdullah the Butcher's forehead. Mm. Um, half the charisma. 
<laughs> we then go to the national anthem after shitting all over the first two minutes of the show for longer than that. Um, before going to our first match, this is the first one where I think this is in the Greensboro Coliseum, but because they make no distinguishable difference between any of the matches, I give up trying to track that immediately after this match. And it's for the coveted Mid-Atlantic title, which is currently vacant. And it's going to be Sam Houston, brother of Jake the Snake Roberts, taking on... Crusher Khrushchev, the future Demolition Smash, a.k.a. the future Repo Man, a.k.a. the future some guy with a golfer gimmick in WCW. Uh, wasn't he also the Blacktop Bully, or have I got him mixed up with someone else? Oh, I think he was a Blacktop Bully. Oh, my God. So many great gimmicks. Oh, yes. Nothing will ever beat Smash. No. Though. No, nothing will ever beat Demolition. So before this match gets started, I notice Sam Houston's rocking a little bit of a neck bandana, and I've got a um, I've got a Shih Tzu, a small dog which I've had for about twelve years. Right, he's an old dog, but he gets eczema, so I have to send him for regular haircuts at, at the um, the dog groomers down the road. Whenever they cut him, I always I just get him to get shaved. Like he's not he's not a fluffy dog or like you know no effeminate haircut or anything like that. He just gets shaved a bit like my head. And it comes whenever he comes back, they put him in these cute little bandanas that make your dog look like it just look like a complete fuckwit and just make you laugh at your own dog. That's what Sam Houston is rocking here for this match. Oh yeah, it's awful. I think it's possible he is a cowboy, which is unlike uh, a gimmick in WCW or slash NWA. A cowboy, how novel! <laughs> He'll be the only one. I'm and sure you don't get more than one cowboy gimmick in in, in the NWA in the mid eighties, surely. So, when did you say it was? Mid-80s. I'm glad you made that distinction, because the referee is refereeing in yellow bell-bottoms. Oh, yes. I wanted those clothes to wear in the house. (laughs) Straight off the set of Austin Powers. It's... it's, Oh, let's just get on. Let's just power through. (laughs) We had a bit of a slugfest early, and then Crusher Khrushchev lifting chokehold, because he was a jacked-up beast at this point. Um, he's got some serious backney though. <laughs> it's pretty gross. Sam Houston with a nice head scissor takedown, a drop kick and an arm drag. Khrushchev with a backdrop and a clothesline, then a bear hug and a slam. Sam Houston with a 10 punch spot, a bulldog, and then gets a two count. Um, we've got foot on the ropes from Khrushchev. Sam Houston stupidly celebrates, then eats a Russian sickle, aka clothesline, for the one, two, three. And Khrushchev wins the belt in a half-decent opening contest. I had high hopes It was in. good. You know, you've got your first Dusty of the evening, really. First first uh, decent action. I mean, it's not sending the cruiserweights out, but, I mean, it's better than now. It's better than what we had before. No, rape. Yeah, 100%. It's better, probably better than just about any match on the previous show. Maybe Davy Boy and Steamboat was better, but it's it's got to be close to the best match we've watched so Definitely. far. Definitely. Davy Boy... Uh, Steamboat will always have the bull shot from hell, so. Yeah, yep, definitely. From there, we go to our next match, which is a Mexican death match because it's a raging bull Manny Fernandez taking on Abdullah the Butcher. So there's apparently a bit of a blood feud going on here because you can't really go back and watch the TV, nor was I inclined to do so. It's hard to keep up with these storylines because we're also pre-video package, so I'll do my best to fill you in as best as I know, but it's certainly not all that informative. It's uh, Abdullah awful. Scr- you just know what's coming. 
Yeah, you do. And it sets a trend. So we're going to we're gonna go through this bit by bit as the show goes on, but def- this definitely sets a trend. Abby scraps with the fans on the way out. Um, and I've got here my first note <laughs> looking at this is, Abdullah doesn't have blade scars. He has a fucking vagina on his forehead. <laughs> it's fucking disgusting. <clears throat> it really is. I swear to God, if the lights were out and he was laying next to you, there's half a chance. <laughs> <laughs> How, how many birthday drinks can I get in? <laughs> oh, Abdullah starts with a bit of a beat down um, and they show old ladies in the crowd being disgusted. So definitely um, not stunt grannies, real old ladies. Before anything of note has happened in the match, the raging bull is bleeding and it's not a big deal. That is definitely the trend we're about to start for the evening. There is far too much claret on this show. We get a monkey flip from the Raging Bull, and there's virtually no commentary. I said, like, there's just long stretches of silence from Coddle and Shivani. I'm not sure who was supposed to be the main play-by-play guy, but they're fucking it up pretty badly. Yeah, yeah, they've obviously not got this uh, sound sorted. (laughs) This is um, a little bit unusual as well. We get a second rope flying uh, boot attack, so he's got the boot in his hand. Um, using the boot as a weapon. So now they're both gushing for Manny. So absolutely no point. Two or three minutes into the match, they're both bleeding with no pomp or circumstance. Um, They're apparently fighting for the Raging Bull's heritage because Abby has stolen his beautiful sombrero, in the words of Bob Cottle. Well, you just don't insult a man's sombrero, do you? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um then it's at this point that things take a really sharp turn for the worse because we get a camera shot that just glances up and it's the thing of Russo's dreams. The sombrero is on a fucking pole. <laughs> yeah, it's like, we've got a gimmick. We're going to have a Mexican death match, but what we're going to do is put the sombrero on a pole. Oh my Plus, god. Plus, does anybody believe that Abdullah the Butcher is able to climb that pole? <laughs> he threw it up there like a ring toss <laughs> and just was going to shake it back down. <laughs> oh, we get repeated repute, beat shots, repeated boot shots, um, and then going for the climb. That's the story of the match. They'll both use the boot and try and climb up slowly. Abby pops up and uses the boot after being seemingly out for the count. Uh, Raging Bull then uses his belt. Again, not a title belt, just his belt. Then you puts on a suplex. We get a bit more of a slugfest. It's pretty awful. Um, Raging Bull with a forearm misses a top rope splash, but then somehow is able to get up and get the hat. So that's it. He's got back his heritage. He's got back his beautiful sombrero, and all is right in the world. Every Mexican in the world would be proud of him right now. Which is more than his mother yep, would be because it's shit. <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in um, Atlantic City, Donald Trump is thinking, you know, if I was in office and put that wall up, we might have skipped this match. It's not often I'd agree with Donald Trump, but having watched this. <laughs> we then go back to Johnny Weaver, the um, charismatic man that he is, to interview Crusher Khrushchev, who's very happy with picking up his first singles title. However, he has zero Russian accent. Yeah, he just happens to be Russian because he likes the Russians. Oh, my God. The um, the girl on Glow has a Russian accent that is approximately 10,000% better than this one. Yeah, because she's actually attempting one. <laughs> yeah, just so bad. Like, 
from there we go to so go on. just lazy. Hundred percent, so lazy. We then go to our next matchup, which is also going to be a gimmick match. It's a bull rope match between Outlaw Rombass and Black Bart. Yep, this is definitely going to be a bummer. Oh, great. It's another fucking cowboy versus another fucking cowboy. And if Rombass wins, he gets a five-minute bull rope match immediately following with J.J. Dillon. So that's definitely something to look forward to. There's your payoff right there. I could watch... Outlaw Ron Bass matches every day for the rest of my life, and I'll still never remember him for anything more than the censored Red X when he was cutting up the beefer's forehead. And even then, I've forgotten that. Oh, definitely worth watching again, that. We watched that on our first shows. How can you have forgotten that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so, much, so much Ron Bass, so little time. <laughs> um, JJ's in a tuxedo t-shirt as well on the outside what the fuck <laughs> like nobody has bothered for this show <laughs> Starcade, this is your wrestlemania <laughs> and nobody got dressed for work <laughs> it's like, oh crap we've got to work christmas rum bass has got a bit of a weird face i don't know why i put that in my notes but he does um the referee's in bright yellow for this one as well bright yellow polo looking really dapper Rob Bass starts us off with some shots with the bell. Black Bart blades 15 seconds into the match. Yes, I did time it. 15 seconds and he's bladed. Right, well, I mean, we've been made to wait for that, haven't we? Oh, definitely built it up. The suspense, like the blood feud, 100%. We get bell shots, we get punches, we get chokes. I don't know who did who. I just have given up giving a fuck at this point. They didn't care enough to build any drama or do any moves, so I'm pretty much writing my notes with the same vigor. Um, Bart hits a low blow and then gets one back. This is really shit. They brawl along the outside. The commentators are still not talking. They've probably fallen asleep. Um, oh, I forgot to mention Outlaw Ron Bass bladed as well. <laughs> We've got Tony Schiavone on commentary shilling as the bunkhouse stampede. And I just say, Tony, get to fuck. Yeah, this is not the time, mate. <laughs> Somehow, Ron Bass wins with a 1-2-3. Nobody gives a fuck. He gets his five-minute match with J.J. Dillon. J.J. comes in and jumps on him like any smart manager would do and starts kicking him before he's got a chance to get up. Um, they lock them up and they ring the bell, so this is going to be a match. Bass gets up and J.J. shits himself. He beats on J.J. for a minute. J.J. Dillon blades because we needed a third blade job in this matchup. We get a ref bump. Bart comes in and nails Bass. And with a pile driver, that is, and puts JJG, JJ Dillon on top of him for the one, two, three, and this gets some pretty big heat, despite the fact that everything leading up to it was utter garbage. There was there was a spot in here that I actually took a massive offence at, which is at one point he's rubbing the bell into someone else's forehead, and it cuts it. Now I don't know how many bells people have used in their lives, but they don't generally have cutting edges, and it's a smooth edge on a bell. But uh, no, apparently, a bell, if you rub it on someone's forehead, will cut better than your finest Japanese chef's knife. Oh, my God. This was just so, so bad. Absolutely atrocious. It's like, I wonder why I tried, because they obviously weren't. Not one bit. This got a solid 8 out of 10 on the Hammerlock scale as well. Like, I've not really used this for a few shows because I've been watching some pretty decent wrestling, but this is, it's just off the Richter scale today. No, it's just, it, there isn't, it, it's, it, if there was a Geiger counter of background wankness, then this is permanently at a 5. <laughs> <laughs> 
this is fucking teenage boys. Teenage boy with the parents away for the weekend on the wank yeah. scale. The absolute wank. <laughs> we then get a matchup that I was looking forward to for, you know, sadistic reasons and just... <laughs> I know this is on paper. It's a terrible sounding match, but these are two guys I like and I couldn't help but think, fuck yeah, let's do this. Superstar Billy Graham and the Barbarian. Yeah, how can that be bad? I'm sure it's going to be awful, but at least it's going to be fun awful. <laughs> Before the match, we have a $10,000 arm wrestling challenge, which goes forever. And I, this is not me trying to like exaggerate. This is what happened. I fell asleep. <laughs> I'd like to say I didn't do that at some point. <laughs> when I wake up, Superstar Billy Graham is bleeding. <laughs> Of course he is. Fucking hell. I mean, why would he be? Oh, it's just, it's so bad that I can't help but laugh at this point. It's just, this is the two worst shows that have ever been made and we picked them both. You know, it's it's almost uh, pure genius. Oh, fucking, uh, you could have put Bob Holly over in that December to dismember main event and it still would have been better than this. Oh, I'd, I'd have been on board with that. Compared to this. <laughs> We get um, a cane shot from Paul Jones. Um, Barbarian hits a big boot but misses a leg. Billy Graham locks on a bear hug. Paul Jones comes in and uses the cane again, and that gets a disqualification. They brawl around the ring and into the crowd. It was okay, but it was like it was too violent. Like this show has just been too violent by far, and you know, a heated brawl in the middle of the fucking. Night of the Bladers was not what was needed. This should have just been a fluffy camp WWF style match for my money to lighten up the show a little bit. No, it seemed like everyone was told to go out and do something and they all decided to cut their foreheads. Yeah, it's like whoever bleeds the most gets a bonus or some shit. I can only imagine, hey, it's bad. I mean, I'm not against necessarily blading, really, but, you know, if if that's just a minute in, it it doesn't mean out. No. We then go to our next match, which is for the NWA national title. So, like, the belts are just everywhere here. You've got a national, a US, and a world. You've got multiple tag teams. You've got Mid-Atlantic. It's just too many belts. Yeah, it's because they're all different companies, isn't it? Coming in left, right, and center. Yeah. And it's Nature Boy Buddy Landell taking on terrific Terry Taylor. Not yet terrific, just Terry Taylor, who is the champion defending. Yeah, I thought this was probably good. I've heard reasonably. I've seen a couple of older Buddy Landell matches when he went back to the the Fed in about ninety five, ninety six. And Terry Taylor generally gets seems to be all right. I thought let let's give this a go. How bad could it be? Oh yeah, Terry Taylor's all right. Um, Buddy Landell looks like one of the Adams family, and Ric Flair had a baby, so that always makes me laugh when I watch him. I mean, it is odd that his entire shtick is to copy arguably the most popular wrestler in that company. I can understand Buddy Landell doing the Nature Boy gimmick in WWF while Ric Flair was in WCW, but doing it on the same show, stealing the gimmick of the guy who's in your main event, does that make any sense? No, if anything, it just proves that Ric Flair isn't unique. That'd be like having Jay Lethal doing Black Machismo on the undercard of WrestleMania Four. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. 
I noticed as well, like, I, I, it's probably was happening all night, but I didn't notice it until this point. I had too many things to write horrible notes about, but they played the same music for both entrances. Like, it's obviously, like, it's been overdubs all night. N- none of it's the original music, but they just sort of, in this one, they let it play and don't actually stop the music during the two entrances. I think someone was either asleep or drunk or both on, on running the soundboard. I'm wondering if if that's what happened on the night or if it's a network, like, just lazy edit. I'm very keen to know that. If anyone has an original copy of this and you're willing to even watch 30 seconds for us, let me know because I'm very keen to find that out. Can you imagine having to be the person that has to go back and watch all these, watch this show and then cut music out of it? <laughs> yeah. I'll, uh, just skip. Make sure it's digitized first so I can skip to the match and not have to watch the show. <laughs> oh, it's awful. Right, what, what, where are we? Oh, yeah. Taylor opens up with a big slap um, after Buddy Landell's been a little bit arrogant in the lead-up. He then puts on a wrist lock, Buddy Landell, works a headlock and some chops, eats a boot, and then does the flare flop. So absolutely nature boy all the way. Taylor with a backdrop and a knee drop for a two. Buddy Landell with a snap mare. JJ gets out um, to the corner of Buddy Landell and helps him. We get a back suplex from Taylor, a backbreaker, and a leg drop for a two. Buddy Landell comes back with a clothesline for a two, then a camel clutch. Terry Taylor with another suplex for a two. Buddy Landell uses his boot. The referee bumps. Terry Taylor sends Buddy Landell into J.J. Dillon, attempts a suplex, a superplex even, but J.J. Dillon pushes his legs out from under him as he's doing it. Buddy Landell lands on top, and the referee wakes up to count the one, two, three in what was our second decent match of the night. Yeah, it was good, man. I'll, I'll go as far as to say is I, I, I tolerated this one. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got two acceptable matches so far. So Starcade's definitely winning the wrestling portion of it, I would think, unless it takes it a dark turn. But so far, not so good. But so far, acceptable. Well, we haven't had any. Uh, we haven't had a run of four minute matches. No, not yet. We then go to Ollie Anderson and Arn Anderson, the Minnesota Wrecking Crew, defending their tag team titles against Wahoo McDaniel and Billy Jack Haynes. So quite the combination there. Billy Jack Haynes of uh, the crazy hair and uh, accusations, I believe, nowadays. Mm, indeed. I just remember him from trying to break the chain of Hercules. Oh, he is crazy. Good times. Yeah. Um. Part of the other problem with these old shows on the network, the production and what they've done with them as well, is because there's not really proper entrances that you can hear and the music and certainly no graphic plates. It's hard to tell like who the champions are in some of these matches when you're just watching them to review because they both came out with belts here as well. It does turn out later on that Wahoo and Billy Jack are the US tag team champs, but it made it confusing for me at first. It's just far too confusing to have all those belts. And also it kind of, dilutes it a bit because why why do they want other belts if they've already got their own belts 100% and just to play the um, genetic partnering game one more time for this show Billy Jack Haynes looks like Jinder Mahal and Dr. Death had a baby yes try and picture that (laughs) not the act or the birth just the final product (laughs) that's probably safest I don't want to see Billy Jack Haynes coming Uh, out (laughs) <laughs> Which one gave birth, do you reckon, Jinder or Dr. Death? <laughs> Jinder. Oh, oh, my God. Oh, the Singh brothers probably delivered yep. him. 
Billy Jack with a press slam and Wahoo with some chops and an elbow. Um, we get a head scissors by Arn Anderson and Oli comes in with a snapmare. Arn Anderson works over the arm and beats down on Wahoo a little bit. Oli with a slam for a two before we get the hot tag to Billy Jack Haynes who comes in and cleans house. Bit of a four-man brawl. Oli trips Wahoo from the floor, holds his leg and Arn gets a pin for the one, two, three in an okay match. Not that bad. No, I enjoyed it. You know, it's... No, no one was particularly exciting, but they're all doing a bit of wrestling, a few moves, nice bit of cutting the ringing off by the Andersons. No, I enjoyed it. You know, that that, that has been worse on these two shows. 100%. Weaver then announces a 15-minute intermission, which is funny to see that on shows back here. Um, and we go to... Da, 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 da. JJ Dillon and Buddy Landell. JJ is a pretty good promo, but Buddy Landell exposes his Nature Boy gimmick and comes off across as, comes across as an absolute hick when he tries to talk. Yeah, it, you can see why Ric Flair was higher up the totem pole on this one. It's, it's pretty awful. Definitely. It now belongs to Nature Boy, Buddy Landell, the number one man in this man's stable, James J. Dillon, who had quite an impressive victory tonight, tonight himself. John, this is the greatest night in my wrestling career, uh, an illustrious wrestling career spanning some 15 years. And I think wrestling history will show that the gathering at Starcade 85 will be the greatest single event ever in wrestling history. And let's face it, Jim Crockett Promotions is professional wrestling everywhere in the world. And this event tonight, not enough can be said about it. I came here tonight really expecting that Bart could take out uh, Bass, but I was prepared for the worst. And I took a physical beating at the hands of Bass that I hope I never have to take again. But I summed up a lot of intestinal fortitude that even I know didn't exist. Gave Bass the beating of his life before it was over. And now I'm the uncrowned champion of the bull rope match. And as if that wasn't enough to call it a successful night, Nature Boy Buddy Landell went out proved that all the experts were wrong that said he was not championship caliber material. They said I was wrong because I was so high on the man, and now he is the new national heavyweight champion, a title he's going to hold for a long time to come, the last stepping stone to the world's heavyweight championship. Congratulations, Nature Boy. Thank you. My congratulations to you, too, Nature Boy. Johnny Weaver, you know as well as I do and everybody else out there, J.J. Dillon turned my whole career around. Now, the nine months that I've been here, the Nature Boy's been playing possum. I'm going to tell you, you want to be a champion, you got to live like a champion. Now, I've watched Tully Blanchard, and I've watched Ric Flair, I've watched Arn and Ole Anderson, and I've modeled my life after them. I am a champion. I am the national heavyweight champion. Now, all these guys can come out here, and they can run off the mouth about this and that. But the bottom line is, baby, is this. When I go to bed and wake up every morning, I can look at myself in the mirror and say, Nature Boy Buddy Landell, you are the world's national heavyweight champion. And I'll take on anybody at any time. In the famous words of Ric Flair, I said it. From there, we go to our next match, which is a cage match. Tully defending his US title up against Magnum TA. I don't think I've ever seen a Magnum TA match. There might have been one on the Bunkhouse Stampede, but I've certainly scrubbed it from my memory, if so. But this was... I was pretty excited to see this. Magnum TA is a guy with a big reputation whose career was cut too short. I've never seen I wrestle. In fact... I think I watched this only a couple of days after listening to that uh, Why It Ended podcast with Tully. It was interesting to watch the match afterwards. Did you say you've never seen Tully wrestle? Ah, missing a trick. 
I I mean, even from childhood, he was. I was a WWF guy, as everyone knows by now. But Brainbusters were definitely a highlight for the year they were. No, there. no, thinking about it, I must have done because I've rewatched. Uh, I'm on WrestleMania 18 now, so I, they must have passed through at some point, and I've seen them in a WrestleMania. I wonder if they had a WrestleMania yeah. match. I think they did. I want to say that they probably had one at five. I know they weren't there by six, but they probably had one at five. Yeah, I, re- I reckon I probably have. I mean, it's a lot of WrestleManias I've watched, and not a lot of them have been watched sober. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, and we've got Earl Hebner refereeing. So this was interesting that we had Dave on one show and Earl on the other. Yeah, the, the Dirty Hebner twins. And this is described as being a nine-foot-high steel cage and it is legitimately only about a foot or so above the wrestlers' heads. It's not a very impressive structure at all. No, it's, it, it doesn't look impressive. It's not like the first time you saw the Hell in a Cell. No, not at all. So, so far on this show, we have had a sombrero on a pole. Um, we've had a strap match with the winner to get another strap match. A $10,000 arm wrestling challenge. And this match is taking place inside a steel cage. So what does this match need, do you think, Richie? I think it needs another gimmick. I think it does. It's now also an I quit match inside the cage. I think that's because they looked at the cage, realized it would fall apart when they tried to climb it. <laughs> that's a good point, yeah. It's um it's not an impressive structure and this yeah. I quit inside a cage. Don't love it, but let's see what happens. Here we go. It can only be good. We get some chain wrestling and a slugfest to start. Blanchard tosses Magnum into the cage. And guess what? Uh, blood? Blood, indeed. Magnum presses Tully Blanchard onto the ropes. And guess what? Mm. Blood. Blood. Tully Blanchard is busted wide open. Both of them busted early in the match with no real build. They're rolling around on the floor somehow. Um, it's like a real... Uh, not the floor, as in the outside, as in the apron, I mean. Uh, they're rolling around like it's a real fight and just kicking fuck out of each other, which is kind of cool, and the crowd seem into it. Uh, I don't hate it. It's very different, but it's okay. Tully Blanchard starts pounding away with a microphone, and if nothing else, this is pretty intense. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're at least going for it. Tully Blanchard comes off the top with a forearm and there's a lot of asking each other if they quit while brawling on the floor. So it does come across like this. If, if, if you were in a real fight and somehow your real fight was given an I quit stipulation, we had to ask the other person with the microphone, this is probably how it would look. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't make sense. A lot of the I quit matches where they're waffling each other with chairs in the head. The rest never goes, do you, do you fancy quitting or do you want to get hit in the head with a chair again? <laughs> oh man Tully Blanchard hits an inverted atomic drop and tosses Earl out the way and then he gets a chair but not a steel chair he gets a fucking wooden beach chair he breaks it on the mat though he's not going to hit Magnum with it he's got a more sinister idea in mind he makes a spike out of one of the pillars of the chair and starts trying to gouge Magnum in the eye Magnum however fights back gets a spike and digs it into Tully Blanchard's head until he quits. Fuck me, that was gory. That was proper brutal. Sort of like it just took 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 a a, a leap up of brutality I wasn't expecting. I think 
Dusty must have been a fan of the old spike into a wound gimmick because it's not the first time in his booking era that this has become a thing. No, no, he's uh, he's, he's well known for the love of a good spike. <laughs> not Dudley no. either. Or Spike TV. <laughs> there you go. So we've got Tully Blanchard quits. Magnum TA is the new US champ. Um, I'm okay with that one. I'm not going to rate it. It's too violent for my liking, but it was okay. From there we go to... I think the problem with it is that you desensitize in a way that so far we've seen so much blood. It it, it could be far more impactful, but I just kind of like, meh. Yeah, if this came towards the end of the Wrestling Classic show, it would probably leave a big imprint on you. By this point, it's become a running joke. Oh, they've bladed yeah. again. Blading should not be like, oh, blade. I'm one of them people where, like, I know a lot of people, you know, I'm not very PC. I'm not very, all the rules and regulations that have changed don't really do it for me. I'm kind of just the kind of person who will offend you and say whatever they think and not really care. I don't mind the fact that they don't really blade anymore, but I'd like to see it occasionally. Like, I know everyone goes, oh, it's barbaric, that should be outlawed, it's gross. I don't know, I like a good blade job when it comes sort of very, very infrequently. For me, it takes part of the really uh, dangerous matches like the Hell in the Cell or the Elimination Chamber or Extreme Rules. It takes a little bit away from it because they it doesn't, they need to look, I know it sounds daft, but they need to look like these are more dangerous, but they're bouncing off, they're bouncing off cages and things. And there's, there's no, there's no blood. Uh, it doesn't make it feel more dangerous because it's having no more effect on them than a DVT on the map. I agree completely. I think just, you know, on the very odd special gimmick match. But then again, don't build pay-per-views around gimmick matches either. No Hell in a Cell pay-per-view, thank you very much. And then bring a Hell in a Cell out for a blood feud and let it be a blood feud, you know, once a year. Oh, I fucking hate that. I, I just, the minute they started naming pay-per-views, I was like, what? It, it, it means your organic storytelling is completely out the window. Absolutely. Speaking of organic storytelling, nice segue. It's... Midnight Express taking on Jimmy Valiant and Miss Atlanta Lively. Do you know who Miss Atlanta Lively is? Not got is? a fucking clue. Okay, it is the man otherwise known as Rugged Ronnie Garvin. Oh, there you go. Uh, had... Rugged Ronnie Garvin in Hands drag. Steel? <laughs> Indeed. Um, it's basically um, the Midnight Express taking on a carny and a crossdresser. Yeah. Let's get on with it. It starts out with a four-man brawl. Um, Dennis Condry gets busted wide open pretty much straight away, off camera in the first minute of the match. Ugh. Oh, and by the way, before any moves have happened, also Bobby Eaton's now busted open. Oh, God. (laughs) Um, We see that he got hit, and it's more blood, just exactly what we needed. Um, We get a hip toss on the concrete. Um, The boogeyman blades right in front of the camera. Absolutely no hiding it. So three out of four so far. We've got weapons and ducking out the ring all around. Um, Just stripping each other down as well, which is a bit weird. Um, We've got... um, Sorry, Bobby Eaton comes off the top, but eats a forearm from Miss Atlanta Lively. And that's good enough for the one, two, three. They then also strip Jim Cornette. 
Oh, and because I missed it earlier, we also noticed that Miss Atlanta Lively was busted open too. Um, we're going to do a quick blade count at this point in the show. So far, of all the wrestlers on this show, the ones that have bladed are The Raging Bull, Abby Abdullah the Butcher, Black Bart, Outlaw Ron Bass, JJ Dillon, uh, Superstar Billy Graham, Magnum TA, Tully Blanchard, both the Midnight Express, Miss Atlanta Lively, and Jimmy Valiant. 12 wrestlers have bladed on this show so far with the main events still to come. Uh, actually, two matches still to come. And it's got Rhodes, Dusty Rhodes and Ric Flair in the uh, the final matches of the night. So what's the chance of a blade job being in, on them then? Oh, no, this is like I said once a year. There's one for every month of the year before we've got to the semi-main event. Just it's madness. We then go to a cage match again. The Rock and Roll Express taking on Ivan and Nikita Koloff, the Russians. Um, Rock and Roll Express have got Bob Canoodle coming out with them because that's going to be a really big help. And the Russians have got Crusher Khrushchev at ringside with them, which looking at how big he was at this point in time, probably would be a decent help. Yeah, I'd rather take him than uh, Mr. Canoddle. Yeah. This is apparently for the US tag titles, I think. Yeah, it's um, Ivan and Nikita defending against the Rock and Rolls. Um, really hard to keep up with who had what tag belts, but I think that's what it is here. Mm. Who knows? We get a shoulder block from Nikita Koloff and then a Ricky Morton drop kick and a crossbody for a two. Robert Gibson comes in with a drop kick and a slam for a two. We've got a lot of quick tags from the Rock and Roll Express, which is good. Um, we get one of them thrown into the cage and blade number 13, um, which is really, really bad. Nikita throws Robert Gibson to the cage. We get a drop double team on Robert Gibson, who also blades. So both the Rock and Rolls have bladed now. That's 14. Ivan with a big elbow for a two count. Nikita with a slam and a snapmare for a two. Headlock and the referee gets knocked down. Nikita Koloff hits a Russian sickle on both the Rock and Roll Express. Um, But we get a blind tag from Morton afterwards. And this allows him to roll up Nikita for the one, two, three. And the Rock and Rolls pick up the victory and new tag team champion. Good match. Enjoyed it. You you don't get a bad Rock and Roll Express match, I don't think. And uh, the crowd does go pretty wild. So... It was all right. Blood was pointless. Oh, and f- yeah, and I forgot to mention Nikita Koloff bladed, so 15, there's now 15. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> all three Russians then get in an attack. Rob, uh, Ricky Morton, Don Canoodle, I think I said Bob Canoodle before it's Don Canoodle, comes in. Uh, so he has been knocked down off screen. That's how um, Crusher Khrushchev was able to get in and make the three-on-one attack. When the camera pans down to Don Canoodle and he's lay on the floor, uh, you can probably guess what I'm going to say next. Blade mm. mm. job? Yeah, number 16. The 16th blade job is a manager that was knocked down off camera on the outside. <laughs> well, what, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, some, if some people will follow other people off cliffs and stuff, what's that phrase? But would you jump off a bridge if uh, someone else did it? They're just following each other now, like lemmings. Lemmings, oh yes, oh, there's a blast from the past. I loved Lemmings. That was awesome game. The only thing better than Lemmings for little people like that and, and crazy stunts was Worms. I wasn't a big Worms fan. I don't think I really played it. But then again, as I, as aforementioned, I'm a bit of a miserable sod who doesn't play games with anyone else. So 
no, Worms was definitely a great two-player PC game where you sat at the same PC and played. Just great times. Before the internet. Before the internet. Before the bad times. Yeah, there's a, sa- a saying you've got to be a certain age to really understand. So, we get the, ro- lo- the locker room empties out to chase off the Russians to help the Rock and Roll Express who have just won the tag titles. And that means it's time for our main event of the evening. Ooh, let's get it on. The music overdubbed really ruins the entrances because they do seem quite grandiose here for Dusty and Ric Flair. That's one thing I'll give them. They definitely stepped up the presentation for the main event. Dusty is over as fuck and Ric Flair is a huge heel, baby. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit of an odd one when they do that with the music. We get a bit of a stare down to start, and then some chops and strikes before Flair powders to the outside. And the commentators, of course, doing a great job of selling this by saying absolutely fucking nothing. We get a Dusty Rhodes shoulder block and an elbow before Flair powders to the outside again. Dusty works over the arm for a while. It's a bit of a slow start, but I'm hoping it's going to be a fast build-up once they get going. Flair with a knee drop and a leg kick. Dusty Rhodes then screams because he's got a pre-existing leg injury from Oli and Arn attacking him. He powders to the outside to try and get some feeling back into the leg. And then Dusty Rhodes starts working over Ric Flair's leg to give it a bit of a turnaround. We get a vertical suplex and then he goes back to the leg. But Ric Flair escapes, goes up top, and if you guessed he gets caught and tossed off, you would be absolutely correct. Dusty goes for a figure four, but it's blocked, and we get some idiot in the crowd just wooing nonstop badly, and it's fucking driving me to distraction. You just thought in that crowd in the 80s, he just would have got the, the taste slapped out of his mouth, really. You'd think so. That was allowed back then. Ric Flair with a cool corner flip, as always. Dusty Rhodes gets all over him and beats on him for a while. Ric Flair then tosses Dusty Rhodes over the top rope, but the referee missed it. I'm wondering if that's going to come back into play later. It is called a Dusty finish for a reason. I mean, if if Dusty does a Dusty finish on Dusty, is that Dusty squared? (laughs) Yeah, Dusty squared. Oh, my God. Uh, Dusty hits a cross body for a two count and then some punches. Ric Flair takes the 17th Blade Award for the night. (laughs) Gets some color. Ten punch and a flare flop. Dusty Rhodes with lots of punches. Goes for a punt, but Ric Flair moves, and he kicks the rope, which seems to hurt his sore foot. So some continuity, at least, in the selling. Ric Flair gets under the leg, and the guy in the crowd is still wooing, and I want to go back in time and slap the taste out of his mouth. Ric Flair puts on the figure four, which is eventually reversed. Um, Dusty then gets fired up, no-sells some chops and some elbows. Ric Flair gets knocked out of the ring. Uh, sorry, the ref gets knocked out of the ring. Ric Flair puts on the figure four. Arn Anderson comes out, but he's nailed. Oli comes out and nails Dusty. Ric Flair goes for the pin off this for a two count with a new referee. Um, then we get a roll up by Dusty Rhodes for a three count, and that's enough. He picks up the the victory, picks up the title, new champion, and all the faces come in to celebrate. Um, the replays are in total silence, which is a little bit um, annoying. We don't really get... Um, the grandiose sort of commentary that it deserves, but Dusty picks up the win in a pretty famous victory. Yeah, it was a good match. I, I didn't mind it. I mean, it's odd. Dusty isn't the world's greatest wrestler, but there is something you, <laughs> it's good to watch. Yeah, definitely. This It's entertaining. Um, during the celebration, you can hear quite audible near the camera, excuse me, excuse me, please, which is just, yeah, more poor, poor production here. Um, 
from there, we go backstage to Tony Schiavone with Dusty Rhodes. Uh, pretty good promo. I might try and splice some of this in because it was probably one of the more entertaining pieces of talking of either shows. And then we get a highlights package to finish out the paper. And a round of appreciation asks for the promoter. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's all clap the um, the excellent booking. Yes. I think, is, is this one of these where he gets dusty? Because I'm just looking on Wikipedia and I think the decision did actually get uh, later reversed. Oh, you're joking. Says, uh, Stu Schwartz, replacement referee, came with a pin after senior referee Tommy Young was knocked down. Tommy Young later reversed this decision and awarded Rhodes a victory by disqualification due to interference from Arn Anderson. Therefore, Flair remained world champion. For fuck's sake. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus Christ on a they bike. They just love shitting on the crowd, don't they? They surely do. Oh my god, that that's baffled me. I did not know that. No, I, I didn't. I, I was like, well, there you go. But he was. They, they were known for that. I mean, like you said, the dusty finish is, is your dusty finish. <sighs> well, can you feel it, Richie? We've finished both these two it's, shows. It's a weight off my uh, off my shoulders. Unfortunately, we have to try and pick a winner. Uh, well, that could be interesting. But I'm sure we can find, find a way <sighs> through it. We have to pick who had the best production value on the night. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, I've got to be honest, there seem to be less cock-ups with the WWE but it was both shite. Yeah, I was tempted to go with neither for the first time in the podcast, but I think I will just go with you and lean towards the Fed just barely. And this was awful for their standards too, so let's not get it wrong. And we're not calling them slick. We're just saying that, you know, Starcade was even worse for production. Given that they'd already done WrestleMania, you think they would have learned a few lessons, but it appears they didn't. Yeah, I don't remember going back and watching WrestleMania and thinking the production wasn't up to snuff, but this one, it was definitely jarring. At WrestleMania once, like, you can tell they're learning, but they're, they, it's, they've spent a bit of cash. Yeah, this was definitely a step backwards before the, the WrestleManias got it going again. Who did you think had the better crowd on the night? To be honest, I think, I think the sound was off for both of them, and I think because they had to cut out so many entrances... You couldn't really see the pop, but I, I think it might have been the NWA. But it, it's difficult with these because they sound so quiet be, between them. I went with the NWA because as bad as most of the wrestling on these two shows was, um, I don't recall the NWA crowd chanting bullshit no. at, the, at the finishes they saw. And that was at a face picking up a victory. So I'm definitely going to go with the NWA for having the, the better crowd uh, of the so, night, um, even though it was split across two crowds technically. Yeah, I mean, Chicago is known as a pretty smart place for uh, wrestling fans. They, they were pushing it by putting this here. Yeah, starts earlier than, than we all thought. Um, who did you think had the better storylines on the night? <sighs> Neither. I don't think they were... I think the thing is, there were no storylines. So, yeah, I'm going to call it a tie for me. Like, there's just, you know, they don't even like. I guess 
the coronation of the title win for Dusty is kind of a culmination of the storyline, but you just told me they fucked that yeah, up anyway. Yeah, so even that means nothing. Uh, and none, none of, yeah. There wasn't a story in the the, the tournament at all. They, they, it was just a bunch of matches. There wasn't even like the like the WrestleMania 4 with Hogan and Andre meeting early and stuff like that. Yeah, it's just, it's not good at all. Um, who do you think had the better characters? WWF, but I, again, I just didn't care about any of them. They did fuck all with them, but I'm with you on that. I think the WWF had the better characters, uh, which takes us to match quality. Um, no surprise for me. I think the NWA definitely had better match quality um, just by virtue of having a couple of decent matches. Nothing really great, but a couple of okay ones, and that was good enough. No, I agree. Think. There was nothing of any substance on the WWF card. It, the Hogan-Piper was uh, pretty much a house show thing. The tournament, no match got time, uh, and your best wrestlers were left out and even then you could have had a final that was far better uh, but you put Savage and Junkyard Dog in it and Savage was doing his heel stick so yeah this is this is one of them um, we've, we've actually got a, a complete tie so I'm going to declare you and I the winners for getting through these two shows and doing this podcast um, I just yeah, I wouldn't recommend going back and watching either of these two shows unless you hate yourself and have nothing. No, to unless do. you stupidly agree to go on a podcast to review shows from each year in the eighties as a path to show how the WWF won. I wouldn't recommend actually deleting these from the network and never showing them again. If you can put some sort of parental control in to stop yourself watching this, it would be advisable. Yeah. If you need to torture anyone, this is the perfect wrestling show to use. <laughs> with that all being said have you had a look ahead to what we're going to do next I was having a little look on what to do uh, and I was trying to find something in 86 but I was trying to skip around Wrestlemania Wrestlemania 2 because yeah please do I can't that, that's my least so favourite Wrestlemania of I will have time. to have a look I think it's one of those that's quite bereft on the old uh Network, so I might have to try. I think it might have to be some maybe a, a good old back journey back to the American Wrestling Association if I can find something. We can do that. I don't even mind if we pick out a couple of TV shows from the yeah, 80s. But I, I won't mind a, a, just just something, you know, just to just to whet the appetite. I can't I can't face any more of this garbage. No, we've, we've got to do something different for our own sanity. <laughs> I, I I would rather review uh, probably. 1995's least popular WWF pay-per-view than I would watch these shows again or anything like it. The good news is from, you know, we've got, we're going to do something in 86, but then after that, the show choices definitely grow in 87. Let's have a look what the old internet's got. 1986 in professional wrestling. (laughs) Let's have a look. WCCW, if we can find that. We've got some Wrestle Rock 86. Well, oh, that seems rude to miss that one. (laughs) Oh, fuck, here we go. We're we're doing Wrestle Rock. Wrestle Rock. And uh, I'm I'm only doing Wrestle Rock if they've got a song in it. I will have a look, see if we can find it. Uh, 
on by any means necessary because some of them might not be on there. Might might even uh, go for a bit of WCW third cotton ball like extravaganza. That'll be good. Oh, sounds like there's always also fair. the Sam Muchnick Memorial Tournament. I don't think we're going to find that on the network. <laughs> I right don't now. want to find that on the uh, network. About the third Von Erich Memorial Parade of Champions. That sounds yeah. tremendous. Yes, I bet it's not. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got we've got we've got some stuff to chew through. Anything but WrestleMania two. And I'll I'm say if anyone's got any recommendations, let us know. Yeah, 1986. Um, definitely shoot shoot out some um some some tweets and let us know. Um, we've got this going to be coming to you very soon. Um, from the time you're hearing it, you've already got it. So there you go. Um, and I'm going to be reviewing Good Friends, Better Enemies, and Raw and Nitro with Carl in the upcoming weeks. And then Duncan and I are going to try and chew through the rest of this Raw and Impact um, timeline from 2010. And then I'm going to get back into. Well, I'll, I'll be doing some '96. I'm going to be getting back into Heat and Thunder very soon as well. So definitely getting back on the on the timeline here. Getting back into it now that your laptop's working. Oh, hard drive, $500 later, some data recovery. And all I lost was one show with Duncan and the Skype recorder. And I got everything else back that I needed. And we're, we're back up and running. These things are sent to testers. Like shows. Oh, 100%. I had to make sure my heart was really in it. If I'm willing to pay for the for the laptop to be fixed, you know that I'm going to keep going for it's a while. It's going to be one of those podcasts that you suddenly realize hasn't synced for the past three months. <laughs> Oh, look, I think everybody that's recorded with me has had one of those moments where I've had to get back in touch and go, yeah, that's pretty shit. Can we do that again? <laughs> but I think I've got it down pat now. We will find out when you send me your version of this file and hopefully we should be all good to go. So thank you once again for coming on and thank you everybody for listening. Toodaloo. You said it.
Guarantee those screen trade don't leave us like that, man, cause I'm a 